You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Today we're going to be, as we are on Mother's Day today for once, following the things in the more secular calendar. We're going to be talking about mothers from the scriptures today. We are using as a uh, verse for a theme from Proverbs, the fourth chapter, where a man there is speaking of the wisdom that he learned and the way that he learned it. He says in Proverbs 4 and verse 3, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. We'll see at the end of the lesson another set of verses about the instructions, or toward the end, that mothers give, and we'll see that it's mothers and fathers together in the Proverbs that we're giving these instructions, although this passage mentions just the father. But we see there the tenderness, tender and the only son, in the sight of my mother. I'm not sure if he's saying that he was at that point still yet an only child, or if it seemed like in all the world his mother noticed only him. When you think about having a mother uh, that uh, so concerned with her children and doting on her children. And that uh, mother is to the child the entirety of the world it seems. And so we have this lovely picture here of a home where this young one begins to get his instruction under the tutelage of godly parents. Now, a couple of things we want to say before we get to our more to, to the main topic of of how one would be a godly mother. Certainly, there will be a sense of encouragement, and if necessary, uh, uh, things that would be uh, mild admonitions in these regards if something is lacking. But the thing we don't want to do is so set up uh, mothers so lionize our own. And I talk about my own godly and sainted mother, that it's, it's done in such a way that the mothers in the audience will go, well, I could never compete with that. <laughs> well, you probably can't compete with my memories of my mother, <laughs> but you can actually probably compete quite well with what my mother actually did in raising children who uh, uh, hopefully would make a claim on godliness. Uh, we can't compete with selective memories. And we can't then set forth that kind of thing as the standard. And then the husband say, well, my mom used to do this. And, well, the wife also said, well, my daddy used to do that. And I guarantee you, you're both going to fail when it comes to uh, the blessed memories of the sainted parents of your spouse. Or, or someone puts on uh, some kind of, of admonition or guilt trip type thing of, well, you just don't seem to measure up. You know, this isn't how we used to do it or, or whatever. No, it's none of that. We realize that our, our own uh, most godly and sainted of mothers are going to be saved by grace in Jesus Christ if they're saved at all. Some of us have the privilege of being uh, from homes where our mothers are faithful people, where they did confess and name Christ, uh, hopefully, and maybe even some of them long before we were born and brought into that family, and we were taught such grace as grace was already bestowed upon them. And so any, any discussion we have about uh, parenting, it can't be on the standard 
of a beautiful nostalgia of how things were or used to be or just the good parts that we remember. And we can't have these lessons be things that we're just adding more weight to the diaper bag that mom carries around that's already heavy enough. She's already carrying that burden, and now we've just added some more weight to the diaper bag that she's toting. It can't be that. We think about this encouragement. It's for fathers and in fathers, but it would apply in uh, both parental roles from Hebrews 12 and 10, that our earthly fathers disciplined us as seemed best to them, but our heavenly father for our good. And so there's only one who actively always completely works for our good. Our dads and our moms did the best they could. And you, if you're in the role of parent now, as I still am, actively trying to parent some very large children, if you're still like me trying to do that, uh, then I'm doing the best I can. And I I got one that tells me, "Uh, hey, I don't think, Dad, you're doing it right. It's like, well, you might not. And when you're a father, that'll be your privilege to do as you see best as well. So of all parents, and especially of our, even our godly and sainted mothers, it is by God's grace that they do this work. It is as seems best to them under the limits of uh, human frailty, under the limits of the lack of knowledge that uh, all of us as uh, creatures of God and hum- fallen humanity are subject to, that we do these things. But in order to have our godly mothers, we're going to see, and we're just going to put all four of these up to start. We're going to have to have the proper priorities and the proper structure, the proper view of how the whole thing is assembled, what it is, it's it, where we fit in the framework, where we fit into the overall picture. Uh, it's so common that it's, it's a, a, a trite statement and a trope and a matter of humor to talk about unhappy feminist, about these uh, you know, second and third wave feminists in particular, these, these university professor feminists who, I, I don't know if they ever are happy, but there's no incident in which they're presented in the culture as being in any way content or happy with anything. It's always a complaint. It's nothing but a complaint, usually against the patriarchy, And it's amazing how in everything they see the patriarchy. But those people can't hold a candle to the anger and resentment of all the trans people. That here is an order of the world. An order that all societies who have prospered at all for any length of time have followed entirely. And... These people, they not only are against this order, but they so actively resent it that they seem to have made their life's work to overthrow it. And they have made the lives of godly mothers and fathers infinitely more difficult as they have because for some reason a lot of these people like to have their uh, professional home and education. It's one of the reasons why so many places Christians are getting farther and farther away from the educational things that these folks control. But these folks, all of them, resent this structure and order that is from God. So that's why we put the whole framework up here first. So to be a good and godly mother, there would be in the order of God these priorities. Well, first is God. These people are always writing against the patriarchy. But the thing is, I'm not the patriarch in charge. I like to tell one of my children, well, the one who lives at home and gets the most arguments with me, 
I like to tell him I'm the paterfamilias, you know, I'm the head of the family. And I use the Latin to assert my authority over him. But uh, I'm the head of the family. But you know what? I'm not the one who made the family this way. I, I didn't invent this structure for our family, just as my father did not invent this structure for the family in which I grew up and on back we traced the generations. This patriarchy was not something that the patriarchs thought up. This that they call the patriarchy is so often in the order of God and there is no father, no patriarch in charge of it except for God the Father in heaven. If there's a head of the patriarchy that they wish to rebel against in the order of creation of male and female as they have been and still yet be though they have surgeries to try and change it and they have reasons for not following it and the like It's still God the Father who's the head of the whole thing. And so it's our duty, mother, father, children, all, to do this. To follow the great commandment, the one that's foremost of all, of Mark 12 and 29. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, Lord. And you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself from time to time hopefully it doesn't come up too often because it's a great conflict when it does following those instructions put you at odds with your own parents and that's when you find out in your life and in your own mind who's really in charge who's in charge of my heart is it God or my parents now hopefully this is not a common conflict for some it would it's not a conflict that they've ever really had to deal with much at all they've never said and they never have seen where my parents say this but God has said that and and we hope to never place our children in such a bind in a place where they could so easily stumble we want to instill in them follow this principle but we recognize when we follow this principle we are teaching our children to be strong and independent people under the mind and control of God and not just Mindless servants of mine. There are some days where I might prefer my children be mindless servants of mine, especially days when it's difficult to get them to do what they say. And I just wish they were automatons that did whatever I said. But it's like I taught you to think for yourself. I taught you to to stand for yourself. And now I don't always like how that's being worked out. And when you're a little more mature, I think you'll maybe see that you're not working it out very well right now. But you've got to work this out. And we've got to, in all things, though, put God first. Work this out where he is first. That's the head of the order. All other things can burn, but this must stand. That God is first. Then, since we're talking of mothers, then the next priority is a husband. We, the, God's order does not presume or see the woman being a mother outside of the marriage relationship I know the Bible has some cases of it God knows it happens it's not the end of the world if it does God can work with that right if that does happen I'm not saying to do it no I'm saying everything but but this is the general order of things and this is how it was before there was sin and if there's not sin involved this is the way it will be in Genesis 2 we find how it began Genesis 2:18. the Lord God said It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper suitable or meet for him. And then down in verse 22, when that is done, 
it says the Lord God fashioned a woman into a woman the rib which was taken from man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man should leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his own wife and they shall become one flesh. And so in that one flesh relationship, where we find is generally and hopefully, if all goes well, there isn't some sin or tragedy involved, this would be the bulk of our lives. In a marriage relationship, we, we, lest life is cut tragically short, we don't spend the entirety of our lives in the uh, parent-child relationship, especially where the parents are over the ch- children. It's such a tragedy when children do, do pass while they haven't even left their parents' home yet. It's, uh, it's such a terrible effect of sin. Uh, then we can go to this relationship, and we hope this will be a permanent and abiding one, but we know sin intervenes here, and so does death. And things are not always as we would wish to be. But this is the order of things. That a man would go from his father's home, and Adam, of course, here speaking by prophecy, because he hadn't had a father or mother, right? He was, he was there just uh, uh, by miraculous appearance and creation of God. But he said, this is how it will be. This home that me and her, we're creating, children will leave it to go make their own home. And there they will be one flesh together. And then uh, would come the children. In Hebrews 13.4, this instruction for men and women alike. It's not a double standard that we would wish to hold to or support in any way where there'd be one set of behaviors that we would encourage for our daughters and another for our sons. Uh, But for all the same, as it's universal here of uh, Hebrews uh, 13 and 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is undefiled. Well, the product of that marriage bed, that will be, uh, that will be the children. Not that, that's not the only reason for the marriage bed. Read through the Proverbs, read through the Song of Solomon. It's not there just for procreation, but that is a part of the purpose. That's a part of the plan. That's what those parts produce. We see in our society, everybody trying to rebel against that as though children are a curse, as though uh, children are an intrusion. No, they're, they're the product uh, there. Uh, again, not the only, uh, but uh, they, are the, they are the outcome. But it says fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so we have our godly mothers because they have children. And we pray that they have also accompanying them a godly father, a godly husband for that godly uh, wife. Uh, we find the, this is beneficial for children in all respects. On, on the whole, again, you'll find exceptional cases. But on the whole, the children of married parents are physically, mentally uh, healthier and stronger. They're better educated. They're more financially successful. You'll find the exceptions, but these are the general rules. The children who come from homes of divorce, or increasingly, uh, children who are uh, brought up in a situation where there is, uh, there's no uh, married parents. So often children have uh, single parent households or a household where there's a, a father figure comes in and out, uh, but a different one every few years, or sometimes the cycle's quicker. 
But those children are more likely to be poor, more likely to have health problems, more likely to have psychological disorders, more likely to commit crimes, more likely uh, to have relationships, problems with family and peers and in school. And these things show up across all other socioeconomic and, uh, groups, all other kind of family characteristics, race and income and the like. Broken or never joined homes uh, as, uh, and the children that come from there as opposed to traditional families where the families generally have more resources, they have more support, they have the attention and the guidance of, of two uh, parents who are interested in the role of the common children they have together and they work together, it is just simply better for the children. And so this order of things, so just by being in this basic order of things, godly mothers, you are a long way along. You are a long way along in, in doing it right because you have the basic structure that God gave. And for those who try to uh, implement uh, the teachings of Scripture as best they can when this structure has not been adhered to. And again, sometimes that is by no fault at all of the people involved. There has been sin on the part of others or there has been uh, tragedy and death that has uh, uh, worked their way into the families. It's just difficult uh, to apply the teachings of Scripture without this structure being present. For those who do their best to do it, in difficult circumstances where they have been d diminished by the sins of others and they have been affected by tragedy, it is to their credit that they do so. They should be supported by us to the highest degree possible when that has come to them. And even if it's their own sinful practice that brought them to that state currently, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't try and do well, but you're outside of God's structure and it, it makes the... It's a hard road to hoe. It just, it just is without the structure from God. And so we think about this instruction, uh, Titus chapter 2. This is to older women so that they might help the young women to be these godly mothers that we would like older women likewise be reverent in, or to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. One of the things we've mentioned, the critics of this structure, we've mentioned those of uh, various worldly philosophies, they criticize the traditional homes, and some of their, their criticisms are valid because the people in those homes didn't act as they ought. There were fathers who were not concerned and uh, providing uh, and nurturing and caring as they should have been. And there were mothers who might have done the very things here that Paul tells uh, Titus that the older women aren't to do. They might have been gossips. They might have been uh, too much at their wine. They, they might have not pursued what's good. And when critics point those out, they're only doing what Paul said, is that the word of God is dishonored. And sometimes it is dishonored because of us. And we ought to do our best to try to make it so that it's not. But that also doesn't mean that we're not following the basic structure. We're just doing it imperfectly at times. And we do need to examine ourselves. 
to see what needs to change. But these basic structures are still what God gave. 1 Timothy 1.14, it's an instruction for younger widows. Now, I'm not exactly sure how young it takes to be a younger widow, but since part of the instruction is to bear children, I guess, well, I'll just take women of childbearing age are still younger widows. So here's this instruction. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep the house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Again, same thing, that there's no uh, reproach that the enemy might give. But what is the way in which these women were to live? Well, in marriage and with children. And that used to be a pretty uncontroversial thing to say. That married with children is the way that women of childbearing age ought to, ought to live. Of course, when we apply that to the men, well, who's going to be the husband in that family? Well, it's going to be the men of that age. And so it used to be that this structure was pretty uncontroversial. But because of the progress of sin, partly at times because people did not live in these relationships as they ought, did not honor the vows they took as they ought, then uh, it gave occasion for reproach. And now what we find is that, yes, in so many ways, this is held in dishonor. But God, from Hebrews 13, God still holds these things in honor. And to the degree that we hold them in honor, we're well on our way to being godly mothers and or godly fathers. All right, let's talk about this work now that the mother's going to do. This, this work, as Paul said, I want the younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Here is the tender work. And uh, all of these will be positive examples, save for one, because the scriptures does recognize the uh, you know, good and bad in people, just as, as we ought to, and be you know, not naive, not wearing rose-colored glasses about these things, but having a, a realistic approach, having a, having a sound uh, ability to, to reason about these things. Well, the first thing we'll just note, and the scriptures will point it out constantly and repeatedly, is the tender care that's given. That mothers, almost by nature, uh, there are some times where, again, Paul told Titus, teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. Well, there are corrupt societies like that society in Crete where they were advanced enough, I suppose, to not do this. But you kind of have to be advanced in sin and pretty modern in culture not to have this naturally, for we see it all over the world. But God does approve it. In Isaiah 49 is an example of this kind of tender care where it's just used as an illustration. It's not teaching this necessarily is to be done, but it just this is such a well-known thing that it's used as an illustration for God's care of his own people. Isaiah 49, 14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So that's what the people of Israel were saying in Isaiah's time. That God has abandoned us. That God hasn't cared for us. But then God gives this retort to that proverb. He says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even though these may forget, but I'll never forget you. 
He said, so it's as likely, God says, that I forgot you, is that it is that a nursing mother, as it is a woman with a young son, has forgotten her boy. That's how likely it is that I have forgotten you. And he actually says, as a matter of fact, it's quite a bit less likely than that. But how likely would that be? How likely would that be? Now, I do know that on the news, they'll tell us from somewhere in the world, nearly weekly, maybe bi-weekly, but from somewhere in the world where there's uh, some parents who have been so neglectful and have done such a thing. But you really have to look for these cases, right? And usually there's some cases of deep, deep sin and perversion involved. And so we just have this as a baseline of care. Again, Isaiah 66, like uh, it'll describe again just how love acts in these regards. Isaiah 66, 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an ever-flowing stream. And you will be nursed, and you will be carried on the hip, and fondled on the knee, as one whom his mother comforts, So I'll comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. How will the people of Israel be comforted? Like a mother picking up a toddler uh, who's hurt himself. A mother uh, nursing the child, carrying the child on the hip, playing with the child while the child is on uh, her knees. The comforts of a mother. This is what God said. I'm going to give this to Israel, my people. He didn't have to explain to them, this is how mothers should be. He said, what? This is how mothers are, but, and this is the figure he's using to say, this is how I will take care of you. In the New Testament, it's exactly the same figure by the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. To the Thessalonians, he said, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own very lives, because you have become so very dear to us. You recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And so we think about that instruction to these people to uh, have their heart knit toward the apostle as his heart was knit toward them, but he basically gives all the things of what a mother does is to that we are going to remember today here on Mother's Day, right? It's almost uh, exactly the same thing. Uh, we have there, verse 7, we have gentleness, and we have tender care. And in verse 8, we had, again, fond affection, and, and the uh, pleas to do something for another, in this case, give instruction in the things of God, to give their very own lives, to, to not please themselves, but to live for others, to, be, to hold them very dear in your hearts. That's in verse 8. And in verse 9, to have a selfless labor and hardship that was night and day. Right? I could make a Mother's Day card out of that. Couldn't you? But Paul says that's how we treated the brethren. But again, he, he, he's not telling mothers to do that. He's saying that mothers do that, and I want you to realize that we copied that kind of thing in helping you in the gospel. But again, the background of it, the basis of it, is that yes, that's what mothers do. We also see, as mothers were instructed, 
And we did see in the first uh, uh, page of, of outline that mothers were given instruction in the things of God, in the order of God. And so it is now that mothers become the first ones uh, who give that uh, order and instruction of God and the things of God to the next generation. And so mothers are the first teachers. Uh, in Song of Solomon, in, well, there's a lot we won't read of that, especially on Mother's Day. But of Psalm 2, excuse me, Psalm 8, verse 2, uh, when the young woman has found the one she wants to marry, she says, I'm going to lead you and bring you to the house of my mother who used to instruct me. So of all the things she could have picked, uh, what mom had done, uh, the, the, when she is telling her uh, the fiancé, that the, and there'll be a marriage a ceremony at the end of the book, but of all the things she says about mom, uh, that I'm going to go bring you and introduce you to mom, is mom used to instruct me. Mom, mom taught me. And who is our first instructor? From uh, whose view of the world are we going to have first? There are a few folks who reject it, who reject what mom has, has told them. But it's not that many, is it? Because it, it's such a powerful uh, teaching inside that relationship and the, the opportunities to give instruction, especially the instruction of the way of God that's given to mothers. In Proverb 1, we started in Proverbs, we'll head back there, and you know, of course, we had to go to Proverbs uh, before we have anything, or while we have anything on mothers to say. Uh, in Proverbs 1 and verse 8, my son, hear your father's instruction, and don't forget your mother's teaching. So listen to mom and dad. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath around your neck and ornaments about your neck. My son, this is one of the instructions, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So that's one of the first things mom's going to say. Don't do bad things just because other people say, right? Mom might have given that lesson a whole lot of ways, right? Mom might ask if everybody was jumping off a bridge. Mom might ask about all kinds of things. But the instruction was, listen to your mother and your father. And the, the first instruction of them, don't follow sinners. Right? Listen to what mom and dad said, not sinners. And of course, you know, we had to go to Proverbs 31. It's Mother's Day. But we're not going to go to the part you think. We're going to go to the part that precedes that. Proverbs 31 verse 1 is... The words it says of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. So no, we're not going to read the worthy woman part. You, you know that part of this chapter, I'm pretty sure. But we are going to read Proverbs 31. What was it that this king was taught by his mother? All right, what did mom say? Verse 2. What, O my son? And what, O son of my womb? And what, O son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women. Or your ways to that which destroys kings. So the first thing mom says, well, mom says keep it in your pants, right? Mom says be chaste. All right, then verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine. It's not for rulers to desire strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what's decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to the one whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. All right, so we got wine and strong drink, but king, you, my son, are going to be a king. You lay off it. 
right? You, you got too much power. You got too much authority. If, if you get drunk with the power you have, what might happen? And so give that stuff to the people whose life is bitter. Give that, people as a, give that to people as, as an anesthetic. Give that to people uh, who need to forget things. But you need to remember things. You need to have a clear head. So, so far, what's the instructions from mom? Be chaste and be sober. And then what does mom say? Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth and judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. So, be sober, be chaste, be concerned about the poor and less fortunate. That's what mom said to this king. I got to say, we talked about as we started all the people who object to the basic structure of which God gave man and gave woman to live in. And if people had done like this guy's mom said, live chastely, live soberly, with looking out for the rights of other people, especially the poor and the unfortunate, I think there'd be a lot less valid criticism of it, wouldn't there? There'd be a lot less criticism that can sting and hurt because this man would live right. So avoid fornication, avoid adultery, avoid drunkenness, speak up for the the defenseless. This is what mom taught the king. And we hope that Lemuel did that. We're not sure exactly who Lemuel was. Uh, Main thought is that that was Solomon himself by one of the other family names that he went with. I'm not sure about that. But in any case, we hope that mom's son listened well. Because, again, as we mentioned, mom can have such a great influence. Here's our negative one. From Ezekiel 16. Behold, everyone who quotes this proverb, who quotes proverbs, says this proverb about you. They say, like mother, like daughter. Now, sometimes we say that, like mother, like daughter, like father, like son. And we mean, you know, um, we we mean physically. Physically. Uh, Some dads and sons sound alike. Some of them look a lot alike. Some of them have some of the same character traits. In this case, mother mother like daughter was pretty bad because in verse 45, you are the daughter of your mother who loathed their husband and her children. Oh, that's not the instruction. You are also the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and their children. Oh, okay. This... These people are pretty bad, and it's, it's like mother, like daughter. It's like father, like son. But they followed the influence that was there. And we see this in the world. We see this in the world today. I remember in my sophomore English class in Vernon, Texas, and never mind when, but I, I remember Mrs. Pace. And I remember Mrs. Pace talking to the boy beside me and telling him about when his father sat in her class. And she said, she said, I hope you, she said, I hope you, hope you do a little better in here than he did. <laughs> I may not have been a very nice thing to say, but Mrs. Pace is pretty direct. I, he wasn't a terribly good student, but uh, he, was a, he was a fun guy, at least fun for us other guys. I don't know if Mrs. Pace enjoyed his, his humor near so much. But there is such an influence and there is, so much of our family in us because our families have such such an influence on us and not just could it be used for bad that's our bad example Ezekiel 16 but we think about one of the best examples of this in the scripture to close 
Paul saying to Timothy, I am mindful of the sincere faith that's within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So your grandmother had a faith, and you have a faith, and your mother had a faith. They had it before you. You've got it just like them. And he would say later in that letter, you, however, unlike these other folks who follow all kinds of teachings that aren't in the book of God, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. That from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. And so Timothy's faith in Jesus Christ is a faith that was passed down to him by his grandmother and his mother as they taught him the scriptures. And it had such a great impact and a great influence on his life. But we'll also note, what is the faith? That we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's how we're going to be saved. And that's how our mom's going to be saved too. Mom's not going to be saved because she was such a perfect saint. As we do remember in blessed memory that she doesn't need his grace. Mom was a sinner too. Mom confessed Jesus. And Jesus received her on that faith. If our mother is with us in this common precious faith. And God willing she is. But we think about this work of godly mothers. So very important. But always under the grace. And always under the provision. That's in Jesus Christ. Because mom needs that grace. And her kids need that grace. And the grandkids will need that grace. And these come through faith. In Jesus Christ. So this morning. If you need to confess Jesus Christ. If you need to. Maybe confess the same thing your mother did. Or your father did. Or if you need to confess sins to return to them in the right way, the invitation will be offered as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.